What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Foundational Podcast. Tiny claps for the bleases. Cute, cute, cute. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? We're doing so good. Doing so good. We're so honored to be a guest on your podcast. We just thank you so much for thinking of us. Listen, there's three listeners: us two and my mom. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no one listens Count to this. In. We're 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 honored to be here. So, like, yeah, stop. There so. is also a ninety percent chance that our three year old is going to knock on the door at some point. Amen. Hey, hey that happens. Dad life. Don't say that. But there's a ten percent chance of faith. That, that she is going to go to bed. I mean, I'm going 100% faith. 100% on chance. All right, <laughs> oh, God. Come on. So, please, you have two kids. Are you guys dying a slow death? What is the parent <laughs> life like in reality? The best life. Yeah? True. Oh, yeah. Walk totally. me through it, dude. Walk me through it. It's amazing. It's like my greatest honor, joy, privilege, apart from, you know, being your wife. But mm. it is so fun. I mean, of course, it's not without hard moments and a huge learning curve and really just humbling yourself before the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to like close my mouth when it needs to and open when it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, But it is just a big ball of fun. (laughs) It's it's amazing. I think what we've experienced, and I think a lot of people experience this is going into marriage and going into having kids. You get the most amount of negative talk from other people yeah and so i always tell couples that are getting married yeah my one piece of advice is take every piece of advice with a grain of salt yes because people can only speak from their own experiences and so you get stuff like the first year is the hardest Mm -hmm. uh with kids you get oh terrible twos and so you get these kind of these stigmas that this is going to be really hard yeah and the reality is there's hard parts and there's great parts Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is your mentality of how you go into it. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, there's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because everyone told them your first year is going to be the hardest. So yes. their first year is the hardest or, yeah. oh, wait for terrible twos. And then they're just waiting for this moment where everything breaks and then a hard mm-hmm. day happens. And rather than saying, oh, that was a hard day. They're like, this is it. This is the terrible twos. The Armageddon's here. And now their perspective changes. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, yeah. oh, wait till they become teenagers. And they're like, oh, no. And then they become teenagers. And they're like, this is what people were talking about. Yeah. So it creates this negative, you know, mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something I've really learned from Michaela is she is just a Jedi at we're going to have a good day. Yeah. And we're going to have a good <laughs> moment. And we're gonna, you know, we're, we're gonna have hard, you know, hard days and hard times, hard weeks. So we're not, we're not neglecting that things are gonna be hard. Right. But we're gonna choose to have a good attitude. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of a quote that we read the other day that that said, um, I can't remember who said it, but it said, "Did you have a hard day, or did you have a hard five minutes that you milked all day?" Mm-hmm. Oh, so good, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, ah, conviction. I know. Because <laughs> so I was having a hard day when she read that to me, and yeah. I was like, I really only had a five, a five <laughs> minute hard conversation yeah. that I've thought about for the rest of the day, and probably missed every opportunity to have Thanksgiving and to make it a great day. Right. And was just like, no, nope, no, nope, this stays in the can. It's a, it's a. Be- <laughs> I have to start over tomorrow. Yeah. Question, question on kids, and now having them, and now they're growing up they have personalities yeah. right like they're building their their brain is growing right yeah. mm-hmm. is it hard for you or is there a temptation as a parent to control their upbringing so they become the best version of themselves and how do you navigate through that that is such a good question i think in everything it's our natural response to want to control yeah mm-hmm. and at least 
this is something I'm working through in my mind, but when they act a certain way, I think our, we can't control how people respond to things. And I think as a parent, because you're in a position of authority and leadership, you want to control when things don't go the way you want to. And I really, that's just where you have to give it over to the Lord. Obviously we have rules and boundaries and expectations. Um, but you do have to fight the desire to control. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes the harder you squeeze something, mm. it, it the more they squirm. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. yeah. What do you think? The, the hard thing for me, and it's it's hard, but it's it's also exciting. Like the hard parts yeah. of parenting yeah. are the exciting part. Like anything, any new yeah. endeavor, yes. any great adventure, there's a hard part. Um, and for me, what I've been really convicted of recently, we were reading this book that a lot of people have recommended us it's an older parenting book on how to how to shepherd the heart of your child, essentially, no, rather than just so convicting. parent them, like yeah. shepherding them. Yeah. And what it what it convicts us of is what is the end goal that you're creating in your child? Wow. Because when there's a lot of good parenting strategies, yeah. but when you follow them to the end, yeah, it creates a manipulator. Wow. really does. And it's like, you, you we're going to do this and we're going to reward you because yeah. that's a good behavior. And it's yeah. like, again, God rewards us and there's blessing involved. So that that is not in and, the, in and of itself wrong. Yeah. But if that is your whole philosophy is like, we do this when you do bad and this when you do good, yeah. they become really good at just figuring out what are you wanting me to do? Right. And that's what I'll do. And if you're not here, then I'm going to, yeah. I'm not going to do it. That's and so you so create good. this mentality of when mom and dad's here, I do what's right. And then what happens when Mm -hmm. they graduate high school or graduate college or are out of the house. And there's even things like, uh, that, that I've been convicted of. I was tucking my three-year-old in and there was a season, she might've been two at the time where when I would leave the room, she would start crying. And it was this really hard, you know, friction of, well, I want to, I want to spend time with her, but I also am trying to spend time with my wife in the other room. (laughs) And so I, I can't have an hour you know, tuck in process every single night. Mm -hmm. And so what I started saying was, uh, if you cry, I'm going to leave. Wow. Yeah. If you cry, I'm going to leave, which felt like a very natural response to keep her from crying. Yeah. And then I'm reading this book and it says, does God withdraw from you Mm. when you are having a stressful moment Mm. or when you're afraid? And I was like, Oh Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so thankful that my heavenly father doesn't draw away from me when I'm freaking out. Mm-hmm. And what am I yeah. teaching her? Cause I'm supposed to be a mirror image of God. Yeah. Or thank you Lord for not withdrawing from me when I'm not acting in step yeah. with what I should be doing as a believer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when we don't, you know, we make a wrong choice or we sin, the Lord doesn't say like, bye, see you later. Mm-hmm. He yeah. presses in more. And uh, in that moment, you know, she's crying and upset and maybe, she knows better, yeah. But there is the reality; she's afraid too, you know, or yeah. wants her dad with, with her. Yeah. But I yeah. love that the Lord's like, nope. Yeah. I'm pressing in, and it's kind of the same with discipline too. Yeah. You know, we don't do timeouts. Like, I'm not against, you know, timeouts in any way. But this book is awesome because it gets you to question your motivation behind everything and yeah. get to the root of why you do what you do. And the book talks about how time out when your behavior doesn't match what is expected we say go sit in the corner Mm. and 
God is so good and so intimate mm. and so loving that yeah. when we mess up, he didn't say, go sit in the corner. Yeah. He says, come here. I'm going to discipline you. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. there's discipline. There's consequences to our poor decisions. But, he yeah. draws but it's closer. in intimacy. Yes. And the discipline is close, not far. Yeah. You oh, know? my gosh. And I think that's one, so of the, one of the hard things about parenting. I mean, maybe it's not a hard thing. I think it's one of the healthy weights of parenting yeah. is God created parents to be an image of himself. Yeah. And you can talk to any believer uh, or even a non-believer about someone's perception of God. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, the perception came from their parents. Yes. So were their parents withdrawing? Well, then God's a far off distant God. Right. Was their parent angry and abusive? Well, they think God is the God of wrath and judgment. Yeah. Was, you know, were they uh, helicoptered? by their parents, mm-hmm. well, then they think God is always in their business, and so they're trying to run away from mm-hmm. God and run away from the church. Wow. So, so often we draw our perception of God based on the parents, but God set it up that way. Yeah. That was his design, was he wanted parents to be an image of God. And the hard Good. thing is, it's gonna we're going to mess up. Yeah. We're imperfect. We'll fall short. And yeah. so the goal is to do the best that we can to mirror God the Father and then pray for grace for him to fill in the gaps. Yes, his, spiritual amnesia. You know, <laughs> so, spiritual amnesia. So you've heard the the classic stigma of the PK, the pastor's kid, yeah. is mm-hmm. always the bad kid. <laughs> yeah. That's the kid that's always fooling around or a part of some sort of teenage drama. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know for me, that was me. My parents were were youth pastors. And oh. we I were didn't know that. literally right. Listen, David. Okay, <laughs> we're learn a lot you're already getting disrespectful, bro. <laughs> you're so disrespectful, bro. You invite me in your house with the cappuccinos. You wheel me in, and then you start kidding. Kidding. I love you. So they were youth pastors, and I grew up. And this is what I want to ask: Why is that? Right? There's a stereotype for a reason because there is there's a result of something, right? You see, yeah. okay, pastor's kid. Obviously, there's some kids who are great and it works out, but the stereotype became one because there's a result of they are always acting out. There's a behavioral issue. There is wanting to run away. And that's why I asked about the control thing. That was me. Dude, I was out in the hood, bro. (laughs) I was stealing chihuahuas. I was selling them (laughs) at the bazaar, dog. We were flipping goats. We were making money, but I was always doing everything opposite of what my parents wanted me to do. They're, They're teaching kids on the weekly. They're leading kids to God. They're doing yeah. the right thing. Yeah. But I want to rebel. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask, why is that in us? Because we're, mm-hmm. we're the closest, right? We're, we're, and there's like a lot of bad parenting and yeah. Yeah. even in the church. Just because oh, you're, totally. you're a Christian doesn't make you a great person, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But the person who is closest in, in regards to parameters of being near to godly study and all that. Godly people. Yeah. 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 We become bad. Yeah. Yeah. And we run. So what is that? Well, yeah. I, I don't think I can speak into because my kids are three and one. So like, here's here's how you do it. <laughs> here's what you got to do. It's right. like, I, I mean, I, I know that I'm going to mess up and, and ama- I know amazing pastors whose kids have gone astray. Yeah. So some of it's, you know, parenting strategies. Some of it is just, you know, the rebellion in all of us and God's protection and his sovereigns. But I think one of the reasons why I think it's become a stereotype because it, it becomes a stereotype because it happens mm-hmm. more often than not, mm-hmm. or at least it happens enough times for us to say there's a pattern here. Yeah. And I think the pattern that I see with pastor kids, you know, being rebellious is maybe that 
there is such a pressure for behavior modification because Mm -hmm. the pastor's family has to look good. Mm -hmm. And so I think there, there is a tendency and a temptation, especially for people in ministry to look good and to look holy and look like you have your stuff all together. And so I think if the, if the kids feel that, then the moment they can rebel, they will. And I think that's why it's so hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a parent in ministry. I think the the struggle that we have to have is I want to shepherd their heart and I want to go after the issues of the heart, mm-hmm. not their behavior. Yeah. Because God is not in the business of behavior modification. Yeah. He's in the interest of heart transformation right. oh, okay. that then later becomes, you know, a behavioral change. Yeah. But he never addresses the behavior. Like if you look at the woman caught in adultery, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've gone. And he says, I don't accuse you either. Mm. But he says, go okay. and sin no more. Right. So he, he, he cares about the behavior, but it's always the heart first. I'm yeah. not accusing you. Yeah. Because in her heart, she felt like, I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm being really accused. Good. I think that's a huge reason we see that. Like you had mentioned, another thing that kind of comes to my mind is um, where are the parents, are the parents out being, doing the right thing when it comes to their job, but our first ministry is our family. Yeah. And I think that's another big thing is putting other people's children, you know, other people's families above your own. And when we're not getting the attention that we desire from our parents, we're not getting that affirmation, our response as kids is to what rebel yeah act out mm. hey look at me notice me i'm like i know in student ministry that's a huge thing yeah. you know we'll see kids acting out or just acting in a way that we're like man we gotta we want to call you up yeah. but really it's just a cry for help like yeah. please somebody pay attention to yeah. me mm-hmm. so i think it's not the same for everyone and it's really hard to put a generalization on why pastors kids mm-hmm. sometimes get that rap or you know like you had mentioned walk in that way I think it's it's not like a one-size-fits-all but there are a lot of things you know and that's just one of the things that I feel I've noticed yeah Yeah. no I'm not a parent so I'm not an expert or anything like that nor do I expect parents to be experts (laughs) the mic (laughs) just flipped so hard dude (laughs) sorry so yeah like I'm not a parent yet I'm not an expert nor do I expect parents to be expert but um when you were literally talking about like you and your parents and that what, what came to my mind was, Oh, you didn't feel like your parents were paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but what's worse is you felt like your parents were paying attention to everyone but you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, Hmm, how do I act out? Yeah. How do I, how do I get that attention then? And it's only showed when you're being disciplined or you're being like, you know, like, Oh, now you're paying attention to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, cool, now I have your attention. And um, I think that so much of what parents bestill on their kids, like you said, like it's it's always this, um, especially in churches and especially in like roles like that, it's this, I need to be portrayed yeah. as I have my household together. Yeah. And the pressure that is put on those kids, they're not able to be human. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. not able to make the mistakes. There's no grace there, right? Yeah. Like there's no ability to say, Hey, go out and try. It's no, go out and be perfect. Yeah. But I've never been out here before. Yeah. And it's like, so wow. they need to make sure that you are like, you are, what's the word? Um, 
they always say this, uh, an extension of me, right? Yeah. And it's like, there's so you much. You carry pressure. my name. Yes. You carry represent. my name well. I'm an Italian. Yeah. I'm all about that. <laughs> you represent your family. Yeah. How are you representing? There's so much shame. And like, before they've even messed up, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love my parents. I honor my parents. Um, but like, <laughs> literally, literally this, lay it out there. Yeah. Just, just, you know, just all honor, for all respect. <laughs> um, but like, when we pulled up to restaurants, man. That conversation, car goes in park, turn around. All right, we're going to go in here and we're going to have our best behavior. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, so help me God if one of you kids acts up. <laughs> we're coming right back to this car. Dude, right? And it's just like, there's so much, they're kids. Yeah. They're kids. Like, yeah. And I think, for, at least for me, this is my insecurity, my fear that's coming out. Um, and maybe it's what my parents dealt with. And I think that not many people are talking about this. I think parents are so afraid of seeing themselves in the kids and being Ooh. like, Ooh, that's, really that's me. Yeah. And that's something that I see that I want to change about myself. Yeah. And so I'm going to come down hard yeah. on this yeah. so that you don't end up where I've been. Yeah. And it's like, give yourself the grace, you know, yeah. which the other side of that coin is I didn't, succeed yeah and so you're going to on my behalf man so it's really the same thing one is saying you know oh i don't like what i see in you so i'm going to come down it hard yeah and the other is i see the potential that i saw in myself but no one called it out on me so i will be that person to thrust you into success did and they're they're both wrong i shot a basketball tournament Mm mm-hmm like wow. a few weeks ago. Oh, you saw you saw a crazy dad, didn't you? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I knew it. Sports. Oh yeah. Sports parents? Yeah, that's where it comes it's out. No joke. That they there's no like there's no holding back. Grace is out when the window. When they're in the when they're in the bleachers, bro, yeah. they are shaming their kids. Yeah. <laughs> like hardcore shaming their kids. And they're like, You do better. I raised you better. Jackson. <laughs> Jackson. Not Jackson. <laughs> I didn't pay you just to go out there and stand on the court. Like, bench him, coach. Bench him. He needs to learn. Oh, my. It's they're crazy. crazy. Yeah, they are. And sometimes it's it's not even what they're saying to their kids. It's what they're saying to the coaches, which makes me think, oh, my goodness. You're yeah. saying this to a bystander. Yeah. What an are adult. you saying? You're saying this to a volunteer to- coach for the first grade <laughs> soccer team. Can you give him a break? Yes. Like, what are you saying to your kids? Yeah. You know? You know what I've seen on, on TikTok? Teenagers on TikTok use TikTok and it can be any social media platform, but teenagers on TikTok will use the app to vent where they feel like they don't have a safe place to do it with their parents. Mm. And it's heartbreaking. So I'll be scrolling through my for you page. Right. And then randomly there'll be a video and it's not big. There might have like 15 K views, but the, uh, the, the comments are insane because it's like a community, right? It'll have like 15 K likes. And then there'll be like 20 plus thousand comments. And it's because they have a little community where they feel safe in one little spot. They have the little sad song playing in the background and it's the kid like, She's just doing something and they'll have, it'll be a really boring video, but it's the place where that they feel that they can talk. Yeah, dude. So why, what is happening where the kid, how can a kid communicate with the parent and vice versa to get on the same page? Because it seems like there is miscommunication, Mm -hmm. right? Because it feels like the kid can't amount up to the parent's standard. So Mm -hmm. they rebel, they run. And then the parent feels like, 
they're they're lashing out on them. But it's if you talk to them and, and it gets to the root of it, it's like it's because they love them so much they don't they don't want them to fail, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, there's a big question, but like, <laughs> yeah, how can we meet? How can we help them meet in the middle for on both sides? Yeah, yeah. Mm. that's so good. I think one of the things that comes to my mind, we at Gateway Church had an event, and we still actually have the event called Kairos. It's a freedom event. It's yeah. a usually a two-day event where they go through father wounds. They go through unforgiveness. Yeah. They go through, um, you know, just all these areas that we struggle in that keep us bound. And after a two-day event, you kind of lay out all of your baggage yeah. and go through this healing process. Well, we started getting into the success of the event where we wanted to do a teen, teen Kairos and a kid's mm-hmm. Kairos. Mm-hmm. And something that, that they decided, which I love, is we are not doing a kid's Kairos yeah. uh, to a kid whose parents haven't gone through Kairos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if yeah. we set this kid free from, or and God sets him free, but if, yeah. if we put him in an environment where God sets him free yeah. and then he goes back to the unhealthy environment, it's, it's just going to come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we refuse to send students home free yeah. to an unfree environment. And so one of the one of the standards was before you can register for kids Kairos, your parent has to register for regular Kairos, which, again, that limited the number. Yeah. But it was it was a long term play. And so how do we have this dialogue and conversation? It's both parties. There was a situation where a student was really struggling with an area of depression. And I called their parent. And their parent was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with this. So I'm talking with this parent, trying to give them guidance as a student pastor. Here's what I would do. Here's what I would not do. I I wouldn't come down super hard. Why are you struggling with this? I also wouldn't come down super nonchalant. Like, oh, uh, we all got struggles. Like, this is serious. And so I'm helping them. And then I get into the room with the student and the leader that, you know, she kind of confided in and I'm helping the student process and what's going on and praying for them. And then we walk out and the leader starts crying. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm talking to the leader because now she's processing, how do I deal with this? And so I'm like, this is a 360 degree counseling session (laughs) right now. And none of us know how to do this. we're, We're kind of in uncharted territory. But what I walked away with that event is one, it's, you know, student ministry is so important because you're not just ministering to students, but parents and leaders. But the other reason it's so important is because all of us have to come together in order to raise a next generation that has a healthy perspective of God and freedom. It's not just, well, the, the kid has to get free. Well, what about his parents? Well, the parents have to get free. What about the people in their lives, their friends, their mentors? All of them. It takes everybody together. Okay, I have a question. People really like this one. This is <laughs> the one that it. goes viral. No, this one's actually a, this one's actually a fun one. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. And I think I know this story. I, I might not. What is one of the craziest near death experiences that you've had in your life? Oh, you for sure know. Take this it away. Story. I know it, right? <laughs> okay, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming you know. This is a great. Story. So I have a very large scar that runs across my stomach. Not just across, like it wraps around the back. Yeah. Are we? Are we? Uh, a little bit. Are we allowed to see it? Here we go. Oh, amen. I'll show you after Hector. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) 
And it's, but it's very noticeable. It's become less noticeable over the years yeah. as it's kind of faded. But yeah. for a no, while it's it was bright red. Yeah. And so it looked like a shark attack. Yeah. So when I was 18 years old, my senior year in high school, we went to a ranch and uh, we took out some four wheelers. So Michaela was my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. She and her friend went on this kind of old timey Jeep together and then me and my friend went on four wheelers and we kind of just went around and we tried to chase cattle and tried to get in near death experiences. So we were coming <laughs> back after like an hour or two of driving and we kind of were racing, kind of just going fast, you know, just feeding our adrenaline. And we were going downhill uh, on gravel and we were turning. And as I turned, I was going about 35 miles an hour as I was going downhill and I turned my tires lost traction mm. and I began to skid just Tokyo drifting. Yeah. And I looked great movie. Great movie. No, I can't agree with that. It's not <laughs> a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to say great? <laughs> it is a movie. That You're is so a, right. That, that is, is a movie. A movie. <laughs> Ghetto kids love that movie. <laughs> so I Tokyo drifted and I saw, and I can still see to this day, the barbed wire fence that I was heading into. Yeah. And nothing, nothing you can do. You, you feel like you're moving towards it for an hour. You right. just see it, but right. there's nothing you can do about it. So I got clotheslined into the fence. The first wire was on my neck. The second wire was in my stomach and the third wire was in my pants. And the four wheeler went underneath and ended up in the pond. And I got clotheslined and shot back mm. and was just dangling in a barbed wire fence. And at that point I knew that I was dead. Like I was, I was a hundred percent sure in that moment I'm dying Yeah, because I knew how fast I was going and people always ask, what did it feel like? Hmm. It felt like you ever had a rope burn on yeah. your hands where it's just like heat. My whole body felt like a rope burn. My whole body was just like on fire mm. and I couldn't tell what was actually hurt because probably the shock and adrenaline and the actual pain, yeah. I just, I knew I was bleeding and so I actually just stayed in the barbed wire fence and just waited for the light to go out. Wow. I just waited to die. And in that moment, I'm, I'm waiting in the fence. I'm caught in the fence. And I hear God say, think, think, think. And I, it shocks me. Wow. And I kind of like, it was almost like, you know, he put those salts in your nose. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. And woke I kind of just woke me up and I was like, I, I, have, to, I have to get to a phone. And so I just pulled myself out of the barbed wire fence. And at that point, my friend was coming behind me. He realized I was no longer behind him. He thought he was crushing this race. Like, <laughs> but he comes back. I jump on the back of his four-wheeler and my clothes are all hanging off of me. Everything's torn up. Again, I still don't really know where I'm bleeding because it's just blood everywhere. Yeah. So I'm just holding together my stomach and hoping that I can stop bleeding. I go on the back of the four-wheeler which was probably a 10 minute ride, which when you think you're going to die, yeah, that's like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember sitting on the back of the four wheeler and thinking, and here's the genuine thought that I have, what's heaven going to smell like? <laughs> that's cool. It was such a weird, bizarre thought that I'd never thought of before. Yeah. And I realized in retrospect, it was because in my, in my mind, Heaven was the next destination. Wow. It was like right around the corner wow. for me. So I started thinking about it in ways that were tangible. Wow. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's heaven going to smell like? And then I thought, what am I going to say when I see Jesus? Mm. 
And the, the thought that came into my head was, I'm sorry. Wow, dude. And it wasn't a sorry, like, oh, my sin. Like, I wasn't hyper aware of, you know, my flaws or anything. It was just like, I, I should have done more. Mm-hmm. You know, I just given my life to the Lord like a year before. Yeah. And I don't know if that was the right posture to have, but it was just the truth. Was, yeah. I was just like, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm just going to tell him, like, I'm sorry. Like, I, di- I, didn't, I didn't do enough. And right when I have that thought, we arrive at the cabin. And so I kind of jump into, you know, saving myself mode. And we get a bunch of paper towels, just brawny, everything on my body. Sorry. Michaela grabbed every paper towel. You were there? Yeah. I was holding the towels on his bleeding cut open stuff. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So we're holding, we're holding the, at that point, we realized most of it was coming from my stomach. And I knew there were arteries close yeah, by that yeah. would bleed out. So again, I, I'm not really sure if I'm going to make it, but we're applying pressure, which is what they do in every movie. So, right, you know, right. that's, that's the gospel when it comes that's to the number bleeding. one way to save like your life. Someone get a tourniquet and I'm pretty sure I'm going to have pressure. to get the stove and just like <laughs> just cauterize yeah. the, the bleeding. Yeah. Dude. So we call the ambulance. And when I, when we finally got to the ambulance, we had to meet them halfway because we're in the middle of nowhere Yeah. and they didn't care flight me. I was chill. Wow. He was yeah. making jokes. When they yeah. didn't care for me, I was like, let's do oh, this cool. thing yeah. to the hospital. Yeah. To the hospital we go. Because I knew if they care, when they, if they, I was waiting for them to be like, get the chopper. Yeah. yeah. And then I was going to, I was like, okay, yeah, we're for sure dying today. Yeah. But when they, when they didn't, then there was a sense of relief. And that's when I started cracking yeah. jokes in the ambulance and oh my went to the, went to the ER and they put, what was it? 52, I think. I think it was 52 staples. They just loaded staples. up a gun and 52 staples across my stomach. And Jeez, he dude. cried one tear. One tear? One single So you felt every tear. every punch. No, so so I assumed they were going to stitch it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's what I thought people did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where this guy went to medical school, <laughs> but they loved staples. Yeah. So he what he did is he numbed the wound first. Mm. But again, the wound is my entire stomach. Right. And so the, the most painful part was he was stabbing the open wound mm-hmm. with the needle injecting the numbing, you know, fluid. So that was the painful part because he's digging around this mm-hmm. open wound. Mm-hmm. When the staples came, I couldn't feel anything. But every now and then he would get to a spot that wasn't numb Oof. because essentially there's sections that he was numbing. Mm-hmm. And he would get to a spot that wasn't numb, and you'd just be like, dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, not numb. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not numb. No. So. And he had a couple where the staple was like not closing the wound, but one staple would be in the wound itself. Mm, yeah. And he ended up having to go back six months later Jeez. and get like basically a tummy tuck. Yeah. You, you, want, you want to take. Take it to the cross. <laughs> take yeah, it. Yeah. I'll, I'll take you to the cross with yeah. this. Come on. So the wound healed after the 52 staples. Yeah. Uh, 52 staples across my stomach. Wound is healed. Everything is, is good, but it's still sensitive to the touch. Mm. If a, a football would be thrown by me, I would flinch because the yeah. thought of it hitting my stomach was too much. I had, to, I had to wear different kinds of T-shirts because <clears throat> it had to be really, really soft. So yeah. any amount of pressure was was painful wow. and they kept on saying well it's going to get better but three months goes by and it's still painful for the touch mm-hmm. yeah and, and you're at this point walking around kind of like this 
No, not yet, because that was the surgery. Right? No, no, that was the surgery. Oh, man, I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. That's what I remember. So <laughs> I, I often equate it to any kind of wound that we have in our life. Yeah. When somebody, because the definition of a scar is where pain left a permanent mark. Yep. So we all have emotional scars. Mm-hmm. And we think if we just give enough time, they're going to heal. And sometimes mm-hmm. they do. But I can tell you physically, after getting in my accident, which left a scar, even though time had closed the wound, it was still painful for the touch. Wow. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have these emotional wounds, an area where they, they had deep pain in their life. Yeah. Time has gone. But when someone reminds them of that, or they get triggered, yeah. all the pain comes back up again. Mm. So what do they have to do? Well, I had to go back and get surgery. Mm. So mm. I had to go back, and they had to cut open my stomach again. Jeez, they essentially had dude. to re-injure me. Mm-hmm. They had to cut around all that pain, because what essentially happened is the nerve endings were pushed to the front, so the most sensitive nerves are at the mm. very front oh. of the skin. No. So they cut around that, and then they did like three or four layers of stitches and I had to go through another three-month healing process. Mm. But now, there's no pain. Wow. Wow. And so what I tell people is, you experienced deep pain. Time went by. Yeah. But you still feel the pain. Yeah. You need to go back to Jesus. And he, and maybe a counselor, you know, a pastor, a yeah. leader. And they're going to reopen that wound yeah and it's not going to feel good Mm. and you're going to have to go through another healing process and everything in you wants to say i thought i was done with this i don't (laughs) want to go through this again yeah but would you rather go through another really hard three months of emotional healing or have a pretty decent amount of pain for the rest of your life every time it gets brought up Dude, that's the thing. Like, I, I'm, I don't. You can probably tell. Like, I'm struggling <laughs> with this story because, like, one, uh, as you speak, dude, it's just a straight movie, and so I'm watching it, <laughs> and like, I don't do good yeah. <laughs> with, with the like. Blood. No, I really don't. The, the, hard, like, the hard part when you go through something like that yeah. is you can picture all bad things happening now. Yes, dude. Well, and like, I don't know if you, you've seen 127 hours. Yes. <clears throat> oh, that's a rough one. So like literally when you're yeah. talking about like hitting that moment, dude, I'm seeing that nerve and uh, that, that pocket knife, bro. And I'm just like, <sighs> you know what was um, going through my head while what you went through all the whole story. There's three things you said, apply pressure. Yeah. So I started thinking about you when you were like enthroned in this barbed wire <laughs> but, yeah. and you, you accepted your, your death, yeah. your demise and God, and God said, think, think, think mm-hmm. like, it's like urgent. Right. Yeah. And when you had to apply the pressure, applying the pressure. And then the other thing I, I heard was you said, uh, when I see Jesus, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't do enough. I should have done more. Right. Yeah. And then the third thing I felt, or what you said was, um, your acceptance of death. Mm. you saying, what is heaven going to smell like? Yeah. I'm going there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, isn't that so parallel to our lives as a follower of God? Apply pressure. Do what I freaking called you to do. Yeah. Do it. Do it every day with excellence. Keep your standards high. Move forward. Push the kingdom. Reach people. Do everything I've called you to do. And then there's like a repentance aspect that we have in our life where we live in surrender to God every single day. And the acceptance. I guess that's a part of the surrender too, but yeah. it's crazy how in those near death experiences, you go through 
a whole cycle of life of experience that no one can understand right. if yeah. they haven't gone through it. Right. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. I remember when I was 12 years old, the little Mexican kid, I got my first Metro PCS phone, dude. You know that brand <laughs> Metro PCS? Oh, for sure. It's somewhat respected now. Is it? I don't know. It's been bought out by T-Mobile. They did a good business thing and all the hood people have it. Shout out. T-Mobile saw something there. <laughs> so look, I had my first phone. It was a knockoff BlackBerry phone. It was awful. I didn't even have the cute little ball in the middle. It was yeah. just a bad a little toggle. It's terrible. Mm, the blueberry. But listen, I had the blueberry. The blueberry and though. it was connected to the internet. Yeah. MySpace back in the day, dog. Oh, so I was updating my status crossing the street. And the last yeah. thing I see is two cute little Mexican ladies, oh, a Mexican no. lady and a cute little black lady. And they're screaming at me. No. It's the crossing oh, no. ladies. Mm. Oh, no. Blackout. Mm. So God hooked me up by not letting me feel the pain of getting hit because yeah. I blacked out. They said I supermaned. I didn't get ran over. I got hit. He stops and I shoot off. God oh. did the little like neck trick where he yeah. was like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh sleep. God. Listen, <laughs> yeah. listen, this is how hood it was. I got hit and this guy did a hit and run on no. a child. Oh I'm 12 years gosh. old. This is a true story. You can look it up. Really happened. He did a hit and run. Thank God the, the cops got him and I had the best summer of my life, bro. <laughs> we <laughs> made so much money, dude. But listen, I got hit. And then I woke, I was waking up in and out of the ambulance, right? Wow. Yeah. And then uh, the nurse guy or the operator, whatever uh, the role is in there, he kept telling me, they, they, his, his bedside care was great. He was keeping me alive. He kept encouraging me, encouraging me. Wow. But at 12 years old, dude, remember, like I said, it's the so little rebellious funny. church kid. Yeah. My so first funny. immediate thing is surrender. Even yeah. though I was a bad kid. Yeah. I was 12 years old. I was already messing around with girls. That's the first time I started doing drugs. I was drinking at 12. All my friends, we were bad kids. But in that moment when I know I'm going to die, yeah. I accepted I was going to die. And I say, God, I'm sorry for everything I did. Yeah. I just want to go to heaven. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. That really happened. Wow. But I, I, I woke up in and out. And then I woke up at the hospital. And I was annoyed. I was like, I'm still alive. I thought I was going to be in heaven. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not even lying. I was frustrated because now I have so to go to through this. There. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, and that gonna, yeah. that's going to preach, right? Like I, now I'm frustrated. Like yeah. I have to deal with all of this pain now. So they get right. me out of the bed and my foot touches the floor of the hospital. It's so cold. But when it touched, I felt everything in my body feel that rope burn and that pain. Mm -hmm. it, I was crumbling. Oh, goodness. But this is the crazy part, dude. I am not lying. I got hit by a truck, a fifty, uh, no. a silver, uh, Silverado 1500, full-size truck. Goodness. I did not break one bone. Oh, I got, oh. I got oh, hit, I got hit from the left side. Goodness. I got hit from the left side. I was paralyzed uh, for a few days. And I think it wasn't really paralyzed i think it was hey you got hit by a truck so you can't <laughs> yeah. you can't feel anything your yeah. brain is saying no well and like just the slightest move right would but, be like painful dude, i would imagine we asked them what's broken like nothing nothing's wow. broken oh so i still have some scars on my back but no it's it's just it was it was a total god thing yeah it's wow. a miracle and it wow. was really cool and that was the first experience i had ever had with a miracle yeah um so I want to ask you that wow. you you guys have gone on mission trips, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So please, because I see so much confusion mm -hmm. in almost any age group, but especially our youth. And when there's confusion on, especially like religion, theology, whatever, yeah. there can become there builds a um, is the word mistrust or a distrust? Maybe distrust, mistrust. I don't know. 
Say, the, say it in context thing. first, and then let's... <laughs> when there's confusion and there's no clarity, they just stop trusting anything church. Yeah. Mm. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no results. So I, I want to yeah. ask that about the miracle. Yeah. Can you yeah. explain a miracle, and have you seen one? Well, I think by definition, you can't explain a miracle. Right. That's kind of what makes it a miracle and not a, you know, a, a medical healing or, or something like that. So I, the first answer to your question is no, I can't explain the miracle. Um, I've, I think, I think miracle is such a broad category. Mm -hmm. So the miracle in my life is not as, um, not as miraculous as, you know, someone's eyes being open, a blind man's eyes being open. Yeah. But for me, I was addicted to pornography for seven years. Yeah. Um, I never thought that I could get over it. Yeah. I, I, at the end, you know, probably five or six years in, maybe five years in, I started trying to struggle. You know, I give my life to the Lord and I began trying my best to lay it at the altar, wooden cross at the front of the stage. Let's write porn on a piece of paper and light that thing on fire. Like whatever we got to do to get rid of this thing. And it had gotten better, but it never was done. I was never free. And so I got to the point where the most that I ever went was 364 days mm-hmm. where I didn't struggle. And on 365, I messed up. Yep. <clears throat> and I essentially believe this lie that the most I could ever go is a year, which as I say that, Maybe that was the truth. Yeah. The most that I could ever go on my own was a year. That's good. And I went to church that week and they were talking about deliverance. Yeah. And I remember getting on my knees at the front of the altar and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I had said those words before. God, yeah. I can't do it. I need you. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, after doing my best which is honestly pretty good. Yeah. 364 days yeah. in this culture, that's great. You're solid, going to, dude, you're go, you are going to heaven, dude. <laughs> yes. It I is happening. the test. Yeah, yeah. But in that moment, I, the way that I can, the only way I can describe it is I knew that I knew that I knew that I could not do it on my own. Yeah. Even though I'd said the words, Man, God, I need you. Good, God, man. I need you. There's probably still a little bit of myself that was like, I yeah. could do it if I wanted to. Like every right. addict, you're like, I could quit whenever I want. It's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. And in that moment, I, I just fully fell on my knees, both physically and in my heart saying, I need you. Yeah. And I heard the Lord say, the last time you're going to struggle with this is when you're 19. Ooh. And I was turning 20 the, ne- the next day. And the day that he surrendered that addiction to the Lord was Christmas. I like love that's it. just the yeah. icing on the cake. To I me. love His that. Birthday that's is the poetic. Day after Christmas. Yeah, my, my birthday is the day after Christmas. So like, come on. I remember telling Michaela in the car that the Lord told me the last time I'm going to struggle with this is when I'm 19. Yeah. And I am 28 years old, and I have not struggled once since I turned 20. Dude, that's amazing. Which now I'm Amen. actually I crossed over to the point where I've actually been free longer than I was in bondage. Isn't Dude, that so that's good? amazing. Isn't that cool? Bro. That's amazing. I have a question for Michaela. So when did y'all get married? I was 21. I was 20. Okay. Uh, 2015, right? Yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> so <laughs> is this a test? Yes. The, uh, the question I had was on the side of pornography, even if, like you said, you had, you've, you've been clean from it yeah. since then. But what are your thoughts on in a relationship when the man is ongoingly struggling with a, a porn addiction and, and really a, a sex addiction? It's a, yeah. to, and it could be any yeah. aspect of the sex addiction branch. What I see a lot is the women not knowing what to do. Yeah. They feel powerless. They don't feel loved. They don't feel valued. They feel like they're not enough. Yeah. So for for that girl out there, that woman out there who is in a situation like that, what is the best thing that they can do, not only for like the guy, but for herself mm. in that moment? That's so good. That's a big question and a really good one. Um, you know, we weren't married when he was uh, struggling with pornography, but we were dating. And what the first thought that comes to my mind is... Um, God can turn dry bones and make mm. them alive. He can breathe on them. You know, we see him turn water into wine. We see the blind man's eyes opened and healed. Um, there's nothing our God cannot do. Yeah. There's nothing he can't do. And my first thing is, you know, if you believe in the Lord, we got to trust he is able and take him at his word. Yeah. You know, God, you can do this. And with all faith, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to pray for it. And I'm going to keep speaking in faith that you can. Mm. The yeah. second thing that comes to my mind is a message Pastor Robert gave a while ago. And he talks about being a safe place. He mm. says, there might be some things that your spouse needs to tell you. It was at XO, I yeah. think, XO Marriage Conference yeah. a long time ago. And he says, there may be some things in y'all's marriage or in your spouse's life that needs to come to the light yeah. because we are not able to move to a new level of intimacy, keeping these, these mm. things in the dark. Yeah. And so tonight when you go home, your spouse might reveal something to you that hurts, that's scary, and you don't know what to do with it. But you need to be a safe place. Man. It doesn't mm. mean don't be hurt. It doesn't mean you can't be confused. It doesn't mean that God's not able to heal, restore, redeem. Yeah. But you do need to be a safe place. Mm -hmm. And so what I would encourage those women or men out there that are struggling mm -hmm. with a spouse and an addiction is you are enough. Yeah. God loves you. This is not about you. <laughs> this isn't about you, yeah. but it's what God can do through you when you partner with him. Yeah. And so good. that would be my encouragement. You're enough. God good. loves you. Take him at his word and let's yeah. see him do a miracle. Yeah. My, my wife, uh, during 2020, it's funny when I had gotten married, it was great. And it really was the honeymoon phase. It yeah. was the honeymoon phase, meaning in, in our emotion and our romance, it was yeah. at all time high. I had believed that like, Oh, everything's cool. I'm in love. I don't even crave any of those addictions anymore. Yeah. And it's true. Like it was such a, it was such a pure feeling. Yes. The Lord allowed me to go through. Yeah. Cause that's what, that's what we can experience today. Right. Yeah. But in 2020, it was one of the hardest years mm. um, that had led me to, uh, my suicidal ideation because I had attempted it when I was 18 when I had I had lost the baby and this was not with my current wife this was um, with my ex-girlfriend and then in 2020 it had come up but it's because it was out of sexual addiction it it was yeah. me just failing again I'm so sorry but the problem was I wasn't honest mm -hmm. and my wife was a safe place but yeah. in my head, it was it was a shame factor. Yeah. Yeah. It was so hard to talk about it. Yeah. And 
my wife, it, it, that day is so traumatic in a good way, not in a, in a ugly way, but it was so traumatic. Cause I, I'm there right now in my head. Mm. I was at the, the front door of my apartment where we live now. And my wife came out with my phone and she said, what is this? Mm. Right. It, as a man, it's you're humiliated. You're humiliated. Yeah. You feel like, Oh my God, I'm still dealing with this. My wife hates me. You go to the extreme of yeah. everything's wrong with me and mm -hmm. I failed everyone and I'll never have love again. Right. Yeah. And I was going to go out the door and go kill myself. I was going to go take my life. I'm like, I, I failed in eight in 20, 2018. I'm going to do it now because mm -hmm. whatever. Right. But my wife held me so hard. She had literally like the strength of like Goliath. Like <laughs> she held me so hard. I couldn't break away. But it was such an image of the way I had a relationship with God. Wow. I didn't want to receive God's love and forgiveness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. God already forgave me. Yeah. That's amazing. God already forgave me. I didn't want to receive. So as she's holding me, I'm screaming at my wife. It's, it's like I feel terrible for it. But mm. this was like the truth of my rock bottom. I'm right. screaming at her, let me go. Get away from me. Wow. Wow. Talk about a woman, open arms. Yeah. Hey, dummy, you messed up, but I still love you. Yeah. But I can't so receive good. that love. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. But it's in those moments, like, she represented Jesus that day totally. for me. Wow. And that's my miracle. Like, yeah. she saved wow. me. I shouldn't be here doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Come on. But that's something that I feel like it's so practical, right? It's like, yeah. just yeah. talk about it. Just bring yeah. it to the light. Just yeah. talk about it. The enemy's going to do anything he possibly can to yeah. keep it in the dark. We've all been there. We all have those things that we are shameful about, that we are just really disgusted by. Yeah. You know, we, we all have those things. Yeah. And if the enemy can keep it in the dark, he, he wins. You yeah. know, he has the foothold. Um, but what I love is that you had the courage to bring it to the like. I mean, yeah, she brought it to you, but it's what you did after, you know, mm -hmm. what she did after. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm super, super proud of her. She's how, amazing. How does, how does a man deal, walk through that shame? And, and what is, what are just practical things like a dude can do right now? Cause right now the people watching at home, there's like guys who struggle with sex addiction and yeah. they don't know how, what to do. Yeah. I think I always think of, there's this partnership that God has with the spiritual and the practical. And he lives in both worlds. And we are spiritual beings that have a body. And we're not physical beings that have a spirit. We're spiritual beings that have a body. Mm. But they coexist with one another. And so in one respect, if you're struggling, the answer is Jesus. Yeah. And a lot of people get mad at that. Well, th that doesn't help. That's uber spiritual. No, yeah. it's just, it's just the truth. Mm -hmm. The answer is in Jesus, but there are practical things that we need to, to live out. Yeah. And so the way that I've experienced it is God set me free. It was when I hit my rock bottom. It was when I knew that I knew that I knew that I will struggle with this forever yeah. in my own strength yeah. and I need Jesus. And at that moment at the altar, God said, the last time you're going to struggle with this is when you're 19. Before that, I had tried everything. Yeah. Accountability partners, apps on your phone that monitor your history. Yeah. You take the doors off of my room, restrict my internet, take away my smartphone, yeah. give me a dumb phone. But the thing is, when you have an addiction, you're going to find it, yep. mm. especially in today's world. Yes. And so I always say, w whether this is with sex addiction, whether this is with 
um, people that aren't married trying to uh, walk in sexual purity and not have sex before marriage. Yeah. Um, boundaries to me are Fisher Price little baby fences yep. that we put around something. They will not keep you from sin. Yeah. The only thing they do is remind you of freedom that God provided. If you only put up boundaries, well, we're not going to have sex before marriage because we've, we promised that yeah. we wouldn't be in the house alone. That's not going to keep yep. you from not having <laughs> yeah. sex before marriage. Yes. It was, I'm not going to look at porn because I have an app on my phone that restricts it. You can download for free Safari, mm-hmm. Chrome, Internet Explorer is probably still going. You yeah. can figure <laughs> out a way to get pornography. Yeah. So now, after God provided the freedom, a question I like to ask people is, God's word said to me, the last time you're going to struggle is when you're 19. Yeah. So could I struggle again? <laughs> oh, and people are like, no, because God said it. Ooh. And then they're like, and I'm like, oh, really? But I'm, I'm a man. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, you totally could. And I'm like, God's word's not true. And they're like, no, yeah. it is. And so yeah. you have this dichotomy of what's real. Right. And I struggled with this concept. Well, God said, but I know that I, what's going to stop me from, I could do it if I wanted to. Yeah. And then I saw this story in Acts where Paul is traveling on a boat and the winds and the waves start to get rocky. Yeah. And an angel says to Paul, you are going to make it to the other side and not lose one crew member. Yeah. And he's like, all right, guys, it's okay. We're going to make it. We heard from God. Right. Then the storm gets even rockier. Yeah. And people start throwing stuff overboard. And then scripture says they prepared to throw themselves overboard. Yeah. And Paul said, if anyone jumps off this boat, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm. Theologically, you're like, but God said that you'd make it yeah. to the other side. Here's what Paul's response, I think, would be if we stay in the boat. Right. Ooh, that's good. So God promised me you yeah. are done with pornography. That is behind you. But I could choose to jump off of the boat yeah. and null and void the promise of God. Yeah. So okay. what I do is there are now boundaries I have in my life. I'm not watching R-rated movies with nudity. Yeah. I'll check and if we're going to go to a movie, I'll check and make sure that, you know, that's not something that the movie has. Yeah. Uh, I'll turn my head at commercials. When we walk by, when we walk by Victoria's Secret at Legacy West and there's a gigantic yeah. picture of someone in their bikini, I keep my eyes on the prize, which is my wife's behind. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yep. So, but I, I do, I, I monitor what comes in my eyes. Yeah. Those are the Fisher Price fences that when I walk towards them, I could jump over the fence if I wanted to, but it reminds me, oh wait, you're getting close to jumping out of the boat, the freedom that God provided. So that's how I view the dichotomy between the spiritual freedom and how we practically walk in it. Dude, I love that Mm -hmm. so much. It's one of the things that you said um, that is just such a, uh, hits home for me is you know the exact amount of days, bro. Yeah. 360 what was it 364 (laughs) days yeah and this is something in my struggle that i've i've uh recently like like a few months ago god brought this revelation to me yeah um because it always like i don't know like i don't know if this is for every guy but this is definitely for me and obviously for you yeah it was how long can i go without yeah if i can make it through this amount of days right totally and uh i feel like that's just like 
100% setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. But God, totally. God revealed that so much to me in this one statement. So like I had, I had done the thing, count, counted the days, yeah, counted the days. Like, okay, I'm, I've been clean for so many days. Yeah. Right. And God said to me, he said, I need you to stop fasting porn. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> That's so good. And I was like, Whoa, that's, so that's amazing. Okay. What does that mean? Like for everyone who hasn't grown up in church and doesn't know the Christianese, right? <laughs> Fasting <laughs> is like, I'm setting this aside for this X amount of time. Yeah. And then I'm going to pick it back up. Yep. Oof. That is and it so always good. comes back in that mindset yeah. of, I will pick this back up. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't matter how much the time period was the mindset at the beginning of that time, that that's the minute you hit start, the minute you start counting the days, right? Yeah. It's like, you've already set your mindset to, I'm going to pick this up. How long will it be until I pick that back up? Yeah. And it's like, no, you, this is something that you're literally going to have to cut out of your life Yeah. and say, I'm done with it. Yeah. And I'm not coming back to it. You need to be born again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, when you deal with like sexual addiction and you deal with um, the shame that comes on you, yeah, it's uh, it's like a level of water that's always at your lips, yeah. And it's like I, I'm I'm barely getting a breath. I'm barely getting a breath. And the enemy comes and says, "You will never get your head above this." Yeah. Wow. And God's literally saying, "You can come out of the water." Yeah. And you can be in the boat, right? Yeah. Like that that's will preach. Yeah. And so it's just um, this whole mind sh- mindset shift that happened for totally. me. And I mean, there is time and time again that you just sit there and you berate yourself and you're just saying what, what broke me uh, like a few years ago was like this, uh, I, it was, it was literally a service at gateway. I cannot remember the pastor. It was an older guy, but he made this statement and it completely changed my perspective of myself um, cause he was talking about like sex addiction and he was talking about like porn addictions and stuff like that. And he said he had to come to the realization that he's not dirty. Mm. And that I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Cause that's what you hear, right? Like yeah. I'm dirty. Yeah. I'm like, I enjoy this. And so I'm dirty. Yeah. That, that, um, that's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Yeah. God brings conviction the enemy brings condemnation. Oh, that's good. And, and we've started to make conviction a bad word, but conviction literally the best way to think about it is the word convince. Yeah. It's God convincing you. He has something better <laughs> and yeah, conviction says you did something wrong and I have something better for you. Yep. Condemnation is you are something wrong. Yeah. And that's what the enemy uses, which gets you to think you are dirty rather than no, I just, I, I got my hands dirty, Yeah. but it's not me. Yeah. That's so good. Michaela. Yeah. When I look at your Instagram, when I look at the content you make, when I look at the way you love this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not look oh at Oh my God, dude, this guy. <laughs> good Lord, that little curl. I daddy. <laughs> I daddy. So this is this is a practical question for us four, but I think the people on the other side of the phone, it can be confusing. How can you be in love and romantic about God? Because I see you, and I could ask you why you love God, and you'll list a million things. But there's another person, Michael, Juan. <laughs> they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't register up here or in here. Yeah. 
So for you, how do you, I guess really the question is, how do you show that to someone? Because you can't teach it to them. They have to experience, right? Yeah. So for you, what, explain your love to God for me. Oh man, I love him so much. It's for me, I have a really different story than a lot of people. Um, I came to know the Lord when I was three. So you guys met Kaya, our three-year-old. Yeah. That's how old I was when I started walking with the Lord. So it's been a long time. doesn't mean I know everything. Yeah. Um, but I just started earlier. So my love for him, I'm so thankful because it started from a really innocent and like pure space, mm. like a very, I don't want to use the word shallow, but a very simple mm. foundation. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you're right. You can't explain it to someone, you know, because it has the revelation and transformation has to happen in their heart. Um, but he saved me from my sin, mm-hmm. you know, and I will forever be thankful, mm-hmm. grateful, and at a loss for words to describe how amazing he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. I'm trying to find words to even describe it, but explain yeah. my love for God. Yeah. He's everything. I can't imagine this life without him. In fact, I do not have a memory in my life without God in it. Yeah. Because literally my very first memory is accepting him into my heart. Mm. And I'm so thankful. Yeah. You I'm know what? so thankful. You know what? I Now that I think about it, I was that person that didn't understand it was, it was like 2021 and it would be, and this was a very deep time in my life where I was walking through so much self-hatred and shame. And a lot of that was correlated to my belief in God, totally. right? Yeah. I didn't believe the things that he said. I didn't believe the things that he was, that, that were taught um, to me. So that's why it wasn't a revelation in my heart. I didn't mm. believe it. So that was my viewpoint of God. And that's, was a perfect mirror of why I couldn't receive love, forgive myself, wow. love myself, all of it. But I felt a lot of shame thinking about that. And I felt like, man, that was like such a sad time in my life. When I think about that, I feel like I was like a bad person. I affected my wife, all those things. But I had coffee with, uh, I had coffee with a friend when I was in L.A. And he's an older guy. I think he's like 55. He's like a Marine vet. He's been through like this very long, extensive, crazy life. And I was explaining to him and I was trying to ask him like, in that time, George, was I prideful? Was I, why was I the way I was mm-hmm. in those moments? Did he know you then? Or are you just asking? No, I was asking. He didn't know anything. No, no context or anything. And he said, Hector, let me help your perspective. <laughs> you were closer to God in that moment than ever before because you felt so far off. You felt like you, you had zero faith, but it was that little mustard seed that was yeah. holding you on by a string yeah. to God. So that helped me in my perspective that like, that's like, that's kind of like when the switch started to change of, man, a lot of these people who are questioning, they feel like they're not in tune with God. It's like, dude, you actually might be closer than you think. Because that's what you have to have questions. Without questions, there is no faith. Yeah, Yeah. There is both of the sides. So it's, it it really is such a hard question to answer, but it's so simple. It's like, you have to experience God. Yeah, you have to experience it's that. relationship yeah. it really is when i think i think too that's one of the 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 most amazing things about scripture 
is God knows that we connect with story. That's why when they ask Jesus questions, he literally just starts telling a story. He doesn't even say like once upon a time, he's like the kingdom of God. That's basically his once upon a time is the Mm -hmm. kingdom of God is like this. And he tells a story. Mm -hmm. And one of the most neglected books of the Bible, I think is Hosea where God tells Hosea, I'm going to use you to show everybody. Cause this is, he, he knows this is going in the word. Yeah. I'm going to use you to show everybody what my love is really like. Go marry that girl out of prostitution. Mm-hmm. So he goes and buys his wife out of prostitution, marries her, gives her the best life. She leaves him and goes back to prostitution. Yeah. God goes, go buy her again. Yeah. Goes back, buys her out of prostitution, says, come home, leaves again, go back. Yeah. Any person in the flesh, because he does this multiple times, would yeah. be like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with these people. And that's how sometimes we read the Old Testament. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I struggled with the Old Testament when I first started reading the Bible cover to cover. I was done with the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Literally, God, <laughs> yeah. God, so real. Yeah. God takes them out of slavery in Egypt. He freaking parts the Red Sea. They cross over on dry ground. Yeah. The Pharaoh and, and the Egyptian armies behind them, they get caught up in the water so their enemies are destroyed behind them they finally reach freedom something they haven't reached in 400 years of slavery they get to mount sinai moses says i'm going to go get the laws from god of how we're supposed to live he comes back down and they're having an orgy and they are worshiping (laughs) the golden calf and here's what they're saying to the gold calf they say thank you for parting the seas and rescuing us from mm-hmm. Egypt. I'm mm-hmm. done. Yep. If I'm God, I'm yep. done. Out of here. Yep. Starting over. That's such a chaotic yep. picture, dude. <laughs> what are y'all doing? Yeah, dude. And the, the, the audacity <laughs> to tell the golden calf, thank you for yeah. rescuing us through Egypt. Yeah. And time and time again, they do the same thing. They always go back to idolatry. They go back uh, and set up altars in high places. They go back and take other gods. And I remember reading this and being like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with these people. And God said, that's you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you're so right. So Dude, I always. I'm so sorry. I always thought like so that sorry. moment, because uh, cause, like my brain always tries to justify things. And I always thought, well, it's like, oh, well, you know, like they didn't know yet. But dude, if you read the Bible. Yeah. God told them multiple times, hey, don't worship idols. Don't worship idols. Please don't worship idols. Don't do this. Don't make calves. Don't don't make idols. Don't worship them. Like four or five different times. Oh, more than that probably. More, <laughs> yeah. more than that. Like, But like, I was like, oh my gosh. Like he's literally saying like, hey guys, you're headed here. Just don't do it. Yeah. Just don't do it, guys. Just don't do it. But knowing that he's that they're going to, yeah, bro, it's that and it's he, that love he even, story. He even stacks the deck. He says, "If you do this, I'll bless you. Yeah, and if you if you don't do this, there's nothing but negative consequences." Yeah, and they're yeah. like, "We'll see." Yeah, right, right. <laughs> How fitting. Kai would say. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can listen or and you be blessed. Can. Well, yeah. you cannot listen and, and get, get a spanked. spanked. <laughs> you choose. Right? You're at a well, crossroads here, kid. <laughs> You're at a crossroads. Hmm. hmm. About that. <laughs> you put that so perfectly, Brady. Oh, thank you. It is just the most romantic thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. And I, oh, speaking of romantic, yeah. I was just triggered by that word because you had used it to describe, you know, love for God and how can you keep this romantic relationship with the Lord? And it reminded me of our relationship. Yeah. And how do you keep it romantic with the Lord? You stay intimate. 
and not just in the way you're probably thinking right off the bat of intimacy, but communication, dating each other, um, doing things together. David always uses this analogy when he talks about having a relationship with the Lord, like having a real relationship with the Lord. If I talk to David once a week, once a month, yeah, what kind of relationship would we have? We wouldn't have a dead and dying marriage, yeah. you know. Yeah. It would not be thriving. Um, if even if we talked for twenty minutes a day, it'd be good. Yeah. And I think that speaks to having a romantic relationship. Let's just put the spiritual side over here. Yeah. It's just any relationship. It takes watering. It takes commitment. Yeah. It takes choosing. I'm spending time with you yeah. above anything yeah. else. Um, prioritizing. It takes a choice yeah. to love and to build into something you want to see blossom. Yeah. And what I love so much about the Lord is he's always there. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if, you know, you're going on a seven day streak. I hate that term. Like we mm-hmm. were talking about earlier. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you've been with him your whole life, talking yeah. to him every single day. He loves you no matter what. If you talk to him once a year, he loves you no matter what. But if you want a thriving, romantic, and amazing relationship, you've got to water it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to choose to spend time with, yeah. with the Lord. It reminds yeah. me of a question that I think we can all benefit to ask ourselves, mm-hmm. which is, what area of God do you struggle with the most? Wow. The father, the spouse, or the best friend? Mm-hmm. Which, that's the Godhead. Yeah. God the Father who yeah. is our father. You have yeah. Jesus, who Jesus is the groom, and we're called the bride. Yeah. And then you have the Holy Spirit, which wow. is our best friend. Wow. Yeah. And typically, there's one of those that's going to hang you up. There mm-hmm. are people that are that are like Michaela. I, I haven't known a life without God the Father. Like I love that he's my provider, mm-hmm. and he's the place I can run to, but being married to G that just doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Or some people, you know, I, I love Jesus. Jesus died for me like... And he, he's, my you know, he's my friend. We, there's intimacy there, mm-hmm. but the Holy Spirit just seems kind of weird. Like, I don't really know. And they have the, the, the struggle yeah. of the friend. I don't yeah. know how I can relate to yeah. God as a friend. I get yeah. him as a reverent father, like, right. but I can't picture him as friend. And so usually there's an area that we're good at and there's yeah. an area that is really so neglectful. And we need to start breaking down yeah. those lies that we believe about God yeah. so that he can function in all three areas of the Godhead in our life. That's so good, dude. I think a lot of people, we hear a lot about the father wound. We hear a lot about, you know, my father X, you know, for me, I I'm so thankful. I have an amazing father. Like I wish he was everybody's dad. Yeah. Um, Jesus, I've known him my whole life. You know, he is my, not brother, but he's my friend. You know, we've, we've gone through it together. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. One, I grew up in, um, we just didn't know, my parents didn't know, but we grew up thinking, if you went to a church that spoke in tongues, like, you got to leave. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy town yeah. in there. Um, God Which doesn't do that true. anymore. Run Which for might the might hills. Be <laughs> might be crazy. There might be some crazy people. Yeah. Um, but the Holy Spirit isn't. And um, for me, you know, in the analogy you use, the Holy yeah. Spirit as friend, mm-hmm. I've been through a lot of crummy mm-hmm. friendships. Yeah. You know, I've been burned yeah. a few times, Yeah, you know, maybe manipulated, um, a lot of different things by friends. And yeah. so for me, I was like, Holy spirit, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I don't know about Keep, you. Keeping it at arm's crazy. length. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're that friend that yeah. we, we talk, 
Yeah. But I'm not letting you in through yeah. the door. Like I can see you through the door, you know, like, hey, for coffee. But yeah, yeah the Lord has done, I mean, a 180. <laughs> I love the Holy Spirit. I yeah. am so, so I thankful wanted to, for him. I wanted to ask in navigating through through friendships, it seems to be especially hurtful when you're dealing with the friendship that you're very close with. And I've had to deal with this now in the last two years. These people I've grown up with, yeah. very close with, and I still love them. They're my brothers. Like, everything's great. But now that I've, I'm growing up now, I'm seeing that some friendships, they do not last. Yeah. And maybe they'll come around later, and that'll be great. Yeah. But the reality is there's a ton of friendships that just will not last. Yeah. yeah. So how have you dealt with losing friends that's a heavy question yeah i can go first if you want what you can think yeah go ahead in all of it it's it's so it's it's simple it's acceptance yeah it's believing that that was an amazing season god used that friendship it was beautiful i still love that person but it's letting them go and releasing them of any expectation Mm -hmm. that i've had because the reason that like for me, like the reason I would have even held a grudge and lived in anger is because I had unmet expectations. Wow. Totally. Yeah. Right. And that's, it, it sucks though. Like right yeah. now, now just talking like not practically and like selfishly, it hurts. I hate mm-hmm. it. Like, dude, let's just be cool. Like, let's just figure it out. But yeah. for whatever reason, some things just don't. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a beauty in letting it go. And yeah. then sometimes it goes full circle and you're able it to have does. a beautiful conversation. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. So how have, how have y'all navigated through that? Well, I feel like we I'm sounding like a pastor cause I keep on like bringing out three points, but I think that there are three types of friends, friends for a reason, friends for a season and friends for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so good. And oftentimes we won't know yeah. what kind of friend they are until that reason is done, mm. that season is over, or we die and we realize you're my ride or die. Yeah. <laughs> and so the expectation is is a hard thing to navigate, but some friends come into your life for a season. Mm. It was the season when I was at college. It was the season when I moved away. It was the season, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes there's a reason and mm-hmm. God brings them into your life because you needed to lean on them in this moment. Mm. They need. They had wisdom that God was trying to get through them to you. Yeah. That's a friend for a reason. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes and very rarely you have a friend for a lifetime and you don't know who that's going to be until you get towards the end of your life and you, you understand that this is a lifetime friend. Dude, David is so good at the three point thing. <laughs> Dude, he is just, it's ready to go. It's so innate in you, bro. It's amazing. He really is a pastor. Like when we think about like the, what was it? The pastor Robert was just talking about the five, five fold ministry. Yeah. The five fold mm-hmm. ministry. Pastor, teacher, but it yeah. is in him. It's, <laughs> it's cool though because the, the gift is to just help people understand. Absolutely, right? It's like let me let me dumb it down for you, dummy. Let <laughs> <laughs> I help you out, Hector. I dumb it down because I need it to be dumbed down to me. Well, so that's how you take it away. You know, that's yeah. how you take something away. Is someone made it simple for you? I think a yeah. lot of things in life they're not complicated and they're not easy, but they're simple. Yeah. You know, it's one, that's two, good. three. Yeah, you know, I am so grateful for you both. Thank you. We're I, so grateful. For I have you. one more question. Yeah, then I'm gonna leave you alone. And get out of your house. No, because this is the, the cutest questions. little house ever. This is good. We love having you guys. No, stay as long as you want. So, for you and the ladies out there who are wondering, 
what is the secret sauce to being a phenomenal wife? Holy Spirit. Mm. The Lord. Honestly, just dying to yourself every day, you know. Um, I love the term in the Bible, living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. Because, yeah, yeah, we have to die to self, but we can't just die. We can't just lay and do nothing in our relationship. We cannot be dead, you know. We have to be moving forward. So dying to self and being a living sacrifice, um, asking the Holy Spirit, help me. And help me, this is my favorite thing I feel that the Lord has revealed to me about um, being the spouse that God has called us to be, is when I look at David, before I see my spouse, I see David, God's son. Mm-hmm. And I think that changes everything. I, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. have had that revelation before, but when you can look face to face in the eyes of your spouse and go, that's God's son or that's God's daughter. It changes everything about the way you communicate to them, the way you love them, how you speak about them, how you talk to them. It changes everything totally because the perspective has changed. Yeah, Um, that's good. I'm so thankful for that, and I know that I have to stand before God someday Mm. and be accountable for the way I honored Him, the way I respected Him, and the way I loved Him. And I don't want, I don't want kid to done better. And let's be honest, we're human. I'm gonna get up there, and like you said earlier in your near-death experience. I'm sorry, Lord, I could have done better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want to go out knowing I did my best. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that would what, be my encouragement. What is the in and out secret sauce to being a phenomenal husband? You make coffee every <laughs> single morning. Yes. yes, you do. For your spouse. <laughs> Even if she doesn't like coffee. <laughs> you make her like coffee. It. I wanted a matcha latte. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think she's right. Um, I think the the term living sacrifice is such a great way to think about it. Um, I remember a professor once told me the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. Mm, yeah. So you have to stay on the altar. Yeah. Like a dead sacrifice is easy. The living sacrifice is it's Isaac being bound. Mm. And a lot of people don't realize this. I wish we had time to get into no, it. No, get into it. You got to. No, I can't. Can it's you so get into long. it? Is it a lot? It's a it's lot. Not go for that it. Much. No, no. I'll, I'll, oh, no. Yeah, go. This is going to bless somebody. I'll give you just a piece. going to um, bless somebody. So most people, when they read the story of Abraham and Isaac, yeah. they think that Isaac is a young child. <laughs> but... The reason we think that is because one, it's depiction, it's depiction in art yeah. is often a young child. And it's because the King James version calls him lad it says, yeah. don't lay a hand on the lad. And so then we translated that boy, but that term in the Hebrew is young man. Mm. Um, if you Google, uh, and, and just do a little bit of research, not, not hard. You'll find out that most Jewish scholars believe that Isaac was in his thirties. Wow. So we know how old Abraham was because I think he was around 90 years old at this time. Yeah. So he's in his 90s and he's walking up the mountain with a 30 year old. I believe personally he was 33 because I believe he was a depiction of Jesus, but I can't prove that. Yeah. But (laughs) he walks up this mountain and he says, uh, father, where's the, where's the animal for the sacrifice? Yeah. And I, at some point he realizes he's the sacrifice and it says that Abraham bound Isaac and we think, man, that must be so hard because he's bounding up his sweet little child who's defenseless. And it's so cruel because he's so innocent. No, no, no. 
Isaac had to willingly be bound. He oh, could have dropped gosh. his father and run back down the mountain. His 90-year-old father couldn't <laughs> catch him. him out. He yeah. could have right? he could have just done the undertaker and just choke slammed <laughs> yeah. his father and said, "You're on the altar." Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He yeah. willingly went up there and sacrificed. And that's what Jesus did. Wow. And I don't know if you know this, but it was the same mountain that Jesus walked up as a 33-year-old. Wow. And on. he Whoa. had to willingly be put on the cross. Whoa. From his father. The only difference is Abraham got to stop before the sacrifice went through, but the cross mm. nails didn't go, didn't stop. They went through, yeah. and he actually had to be the sacrifice. Oh, oh my gosh. It's so poetic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Bible, the, the Bible. Bible is so poetic. Dude, literally, someone told me, I think it was yesterday, someone said, it takes more faith to be an atheist. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because there's, there's this. You read that Bible, you break it down like you, like the way you're doing it, it all always lines up. Yeah. Yes. Does that help you fall in love with God oh, even more? So much. Please walk me through that. Well, the the Jewish rabbis have a saying that uh, you actually want to collect more questions than answers because every time you get an answer, two more questions appear. Yeah. Which is true. <laughs> You're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Wait, I have another question. <laughs> yeah. And the older that I've gotten and the more I read scripture, the more I realize I have no idea mm. how deep this goes. Totally. Yeah. I, when I was in high school, I got the Bible. I, it was, <laughs> I knew it. Like, yeah. There's nothing else you can teach me. I've heard that story before. So Kaya has a Bible, a kid's Bible. Yeah. And the title is like the kids' Bible or storybook story, Bible. Story Bible. Mm-hmm. But the subtitle is Every Story Whispers His Name, meaning Jesus. Yeah. And I have found that to be so true. You look at Isaac and you see a 30-year-old man who's willingly having to become a sacrifice like Jesus. You right. see Joseph who is thrown into the pit and has to rise again to, to follow his destiny. You, you, you see uh, in the story of Joseph, uh, his... His brother, Reuben, says, uh, we have to deliver him out of this pit mm. and we have to bring him back to the father. He's playing the role of Jesus. He's why, why does why do we fall in pits? Well, because we have to be redeemed to the father. Like there's yeah. so many things that totally. we see in Moses and Abraham and in David that you start to see Jesus is everywhere. Yeah. Jesus is all over the place. Man. But on first reading, you kind of just get the baseline story totally and so i feel like the more i know about scripture the more i read scripture the the more one i i realize i don't know what i'm talking about and i have so much more that i need to learn and two the more i fall in love with god because the the ability to not understand him and the depth of love and wisdom and just miracles is compelling to me yeah Mm -hmm that he's forever searchable and I'll never find an end. So it, cr- it creates the, the greatest adventure of all time is the adventure of getting to know God. I want to ask a question about calling. Yeah. I feel at least, especially, especially people in their twenties, all my friends, <laughs> everyone's confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's always, especially, you, you know, it's when like seniors in high school, like there's a huge anxiousness that they carry of, where do I go? Yeah, right. Yeah. So could you explain to me in parallel to the Bible, what is calling? Yeah. 
Well, uh, I think the terms can sometimes throw us off. Calling, destiny, purpose. Sometimes they're they're we're saying the same thing. Sometimes we're saying something different. Mm-hmm. But Scripture says, uh, "For I know the plans that I, that I have for you, mm-hmm. plans to give you uh, a future and a hope to prosper you." So we know God has a plan for your life. Mm-hmm. We know that he has a destiny for your life, a place that he wants you to end up. It doesn't mean you will end up there, but it is where he's desiring to take you. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that we need to realize when it comes to our calling or our purpose or our destiny is it's not about you. Man. It's not about you. And until we get that most fundamental and foundational mm-hmm. truth, we're forever going to be searching. Because yeah. it's always going to be me, me, me. Mm. What's my calling? What's my purpose? What's my destiny? And if you look at the word, what we're really saying is you're, you're looking for meaning. Mm-hmm. That's why we want to have a purpose. Is yeah. it, it gives meaning to our life. And when you think of what's the root word of meaning? Me. <laughs> it's me. But it's not. The root yeah. word of meaning is mean because you're a means to an end. Mm-hmm. You are supposed to play a part in something so much bigger than yourself. Yeah. And when you catch that revelation, you stop thinking of what is my calling? And you start asking, who am I called to? That's so good. Yeah. Who am I called oh, to bless? Okay. Who am I called to serve? Amen. Who am I called to, to, to lay my life down for? And, and there, I think there's practical ways that you can think like a good quote that I heard is, um, find something that you're worth dying, that, that, that you believe is worth dying for and then yeah. live for it. Man, that's cool. You know, I think you, you, something, I think it was, uh, I can't remember what pastor, kind of coined this phrase, but it's called a holy discontent. And it's that thing that when you feel it or you see it, you get angry inside Mm -hmm. and you get angry because you want to see it done right. Yeah. And that can be a a little clue to what you're called to do. Like we, my sister-in-law, uh, she is in the health and fitness industry. That's not a ministry. That's not church, but it is a ministry in the sense of you are benefiting people's lives and you can see the holy discontent in her when she sees the standards that women have to be held to nowadays or the the fitness industry saying you have to look this way or eat this way or whatever. And she gets this burning passion. I see it and I'm like, eh, typical. But she sees it and she's like, no, this has to be, this has to be fixed. Yeah. Well, that's because it's her calling. That's Mm. cool. And so she followed that holy discontent. But when I see things in the church, like seniors in high school who, yeah, I, I kind of heard this story. I'm going to back out at church. And I'm like, this is your most influential year. Yeah. This is the year where you're supposed to turn around and serve the seventh graders. But instead you're, you just feel like it's lame because they're here. So you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to be yeah. called to lead. And like that gets me this, this anger, this holy discontent. And so that's one way you can find your, your purpose and your calling. So good. Dude, I never thought about it that way. That's fire, dude. Because in all of it, like you said, um, I think about uh, Jesus, go go and make disciples, right? Yeah. That's in anything that God has placed you in. Yeah. Dude, if you work in an office, yeah. wherever you are, that's what it is, right? Yeah. Is that the simplicity also of the calling? It's like God has these plans for you, yeah. but in all of that, make disciples. Yeah, and I think people glorify the, the church as, well, I'm not called to ministry because I'm not called to be a pastor. If you really look at Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, where it talks about the calling of the church, where the, you know, the apostles, the yeah. prophet, the pastor, teacher, evangelist, um, they're called to equip the church to do ministry. Mm-hmm. 
So the people that are doing ministry are supposed to be the ones who own companies, the ones who are doctors and yeah, teachers. Dude. They're the ones that are totally. actually called to ministry. If you're called to be a pastor or an apostle or an evangelist, all you're really supposed to do is help build up the church, the people called to ministry to go do it. Wow. Yeah, dude. And so we get it wrong. We think that the pastor has to do the ministry. And I mean, I just... I just own a company, so I just I just got to do the secular stuff. It's like, no, you're the pastor, you're the minister. <laughs> That's so like good because you're interacting. I'm a pastor, and I interact with very few non-believers. Yeah, because my life is equipping believers to go be the ministers mm-hmm. in their school and in their workplaces. Yeah. If you're relying on me to go minister to people, yeah. I'm not in those circles nearly as much uh-huh. as every student who's going yeah. to a public school or every doctor and teacher going into the workforce. They're the ministers. Yeah, I think wow. about Justin and Haley Bieber. I love them. Yeah. And I tell this to people all the time. People are like, how do you, you know, get out there and minister to people and how are you a light to people? I'm like, it is so easy yeah. for us. I say, you know, someone asks, what do you do? And I'm like, my husband's a pastor. You know, I stay home with my kids. Like the door is open Every for time. me to talk about God. Totally. Yeah. But I think about Justin and Haley Bieber. They are out there living it. Like mm-hmm. they are surrounded yeah. by people that are against them, mm-hmm. that don't like what they're saying, that don't like what they're doing. And for them, their faith is so much stronger. Like yeah. their obedience to be a believer. Totally. Man, they're like the odds are stacked against them. Yeah. yeah. But I think about us and the door's wide open. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love y'all so much. We love, love you too. I'm literally so grateful for y'all. Um, this might not even make the podcast, but this one's <laughs> just, this is just like relational now. Um, dude, I think when I was like at my lowest, right? Like at least a part of it, this guy was such a good friend. Like we didn't hang out. We didn't, we didn't like yeah. hang out on the weekly, hang out on the daily. But what you did, man, you were always such a light. In my oh, life. Thank you. And sometimes that's what it takes, right? Totally. Dude, you don't even realize, like you said, like, oh, my, my husband's a pastor and I stay at home with the kids. Yeah. That can literally change someone's life, dude. Yeah. This guy, it was in Christmas. I was <laughs> on a sabbatical. I took him a whole month off. We had, we had ran our whole year into our business, me and Rachel, when we had uh, left our full-time jobs. Great year. God showed up. It was amazing. Let's take a whole month off. Let's go to the East Coast. Let's go eat bagels. Let's get fat. Let's yeah. live it up. Hey, man, bro. We got to talk about bagels later. Hey, man. God's going to make a way to bleach bagels. Yes. Um, but I felt in my heart, I'm like, hmm, I should check in on Sam. <laughs> Little did I know this guy was going through a full on crisis. Yeah. Meteors have hit his life. No. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. No. But I felt God like, just call him, check in. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta lean in. And on the sabbatical, the temptation is to just be super selfish and do wow. everything for you. Yeah. But listen, God was still telling me to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I called him and we had an hour long FaceTime <laughs> and I haven't talked to Sam in a long time. It was wow. a while. A long, uh, probably over a year in a, in a real conversation. Yeah. And I was able to be that light for him just because of that simple, tiniest little yeah. act of obedience. Yeah. Just check in on Sam. Yeah. I honestly, it's the obedience portion. Yeah. That is yeah. like my holy discontent. Gosh, yeah. be obedient. Like, be obedient to that nudge. Be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit because someone's you know, for some, it's their do or die, yeah. your obedience. Yeah. Going over and talking to that person. I was listening to um, uh, an Instagram video of Jimmy Darts, and he was like, I was making a video, and 
you know, I felt like, hey, I need to go talk to this person and um, just give them a great day and just yeah. be their friend for a day. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the guy said, you have no idea what this did for me. He's like, oh, that's sweet. You know, he, he said, no, I was going to kill myself Yeah. today. Yeah. And I think we make obedience so about ourselves and yeah. our convenience. And the Lord is like, no, your obedience is about someone's life. Yeah. <laughs> like oh gosh, it is, dude. it is live or die. Yeah. It is yeah. not about you. Yeah. And, um, it's all about obedience. And I'm so thankful that you leaned into that prompting of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. yeah, You're totally. obedient to call Sam. Just yeah. look at this. Look what you guys are doing. Yeah. And that's crazy. I mean, not just what you're doing, but who you're being. What you're called to, to other do. people. It's, it's your amazing. Purpose. It's amazing. I literally have no idea like where I would be without Hector right now. Um, wow. Like when it, when he's talking about going through it, like we are going through it. And I was at the end of my rope. Um and it was all decisions that like I made, you know, like it's all yeah. like going through and They're digging, digging things out and uh, a self search of just being like, it, so shout out, shout out Mike Todd, right? Um, <laughs> He's the best. Literally yeah. transformed my life, literally oh, transformed my life. I had been eating literally. and eating and eating transformation churches content like nonstop. Yeah. And um, big transformation. Place. Oh yeah. Totally. Love the dude. Love the dude. And, um, God was taking me through a journey of just kind of going back through my past and literally guys, there's going to be a part two to this because we can't, we can't <laughs> Let's hit do it. everything on this episode. And like, I just feel like my heart is so connected to you guys. Oh. Um, and so please let us come back again. Done. <laughs> and, Tomorrow? Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, um, God was digging into things that had happened in my past and like my childhood and growing yeah. up and figuring things out. And for me, um, I was in a role that I had always wanted to be in. Um, and I thought was like the, Oh, I made it kind of thing. Like, yeah. um, and little did I know, like God was saying like, Hey, you thought this was your ceiling, but nodded and trying to, um, follow the path that I thought I was supposed to be yeah, and the person that I thought I was supposed to be. And, um, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, along the way, not being the husband that I should have been to my wife and, um, going through just like wounds, right? Yeah. Like we talked about wounds tonight and, and realizing that there were things that weren't healed correctly yeah. and that having to rehash those wounds and the pain that those caused yeah. um, and going through this moment where I had messed up and God was wanting to correct. And it literally took months where I was just like, okay, God, like I'll turn, I'll correct this myself. Yeah. Like I'm good. Um, and him being like, no, dude, you gotta, you gotta bring it into the light. Yeah. You gotta reveal this. Yeah. And it literally, like, I, I remember the day, um, I was watching a message from Mike Todd and I had said, um, said to the Lord, like, I'll, I'll turn from this. Like, we're good. And everything's going to be amazing. I'll be the husband that I'm supposed to be. And as Mike Todd's going through his message, the Lord speaks to me and just says very lovingly, I want to heal something that's inside of you. But unless you release it, I can't heal it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, everything changes today, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And yeah. um, sure enough, walked through it. Uh, 
ended up like having to leave the role that I was in, having to essentially lose everything. Um, lost friends, lost relationships, lost like provision for my family. Like, and through that, I found myself crying out to God yeah. every morning and just being like, Lord, I want to partner with you now because I can't do this myself anymore. Yeah. I can't do my dream. I can't do like, I don't want just a job now, Lord God. I want an assignment from you. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. And That's so good. I had always thought about hitting up this dude, but um, my like insecurities and everything, like the shame that I was feeling, I was like, don't ride this dude's coattails and hold him back. Like he's doing his thing. Don't get in his way is how I thought. Um, And so I literally would not call him. And like the Lord would bring him to my mind and I would not call him. I would be like, no, I'm not going to ride his coattails. I'm not going to jump on his train. Um, I didn't feel like I deserved that. Um, and then this dude called me mm-hmm. and when I, when he started calling me, I was like, Oh my gosh, okay, I'll answer it. And what I didn't know was the unbelievable parallel wow. that me and him share. Mm-hmm. And like when he says that he broke out a year before, I literally feel like Hector is a year ahead of me mm-hmm. in our story yeah. and God has sent him to turn back and be like, dude, I got you and I'm pulling you okay. through this. Yeah. And I owe so much to this dude. That's so amazing. Love you, dude. Love you, bro. Wow. That's so inspiring. Yeah. That speaks yeah. to me so much. I love you, man. <laughs> wow. Here I am crying on our podcast, bro. I'm sorry. Yeah. It kind yeah. of brings me back to what we were talking about earlier. I don't think we were rolling at that point in time, but the lie that enemy was speaking to me was, um, you're hurting yeah. his future. You're hurting his, his career and what God's called him to. You know, someone had told me once, it's better that you're not on staff with him because then if you mess up or do something, like, you can't jeopardize his career. Isn't it so interesting what the enemy will lie to you about? It's incredible. And for the longest time, I thought, you know what? I'll just stand behind him. People can't really see me. They'll see me supporting him. Yeah. Behind him, woohoo, cheering him on. But not as a partnership, not as an equal Mm -hmm. relationship. And then finally, the Lord spoke to me and said, get out from behind him, stand beside him. You yeah. have to. And yeah, isn't it amazing good. what happens when we choose to partner with the Lord and yes. be obedient to what he's put in our heart? Like, look for you. It was, no, 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 no. Now you have to bring it to the light. You have yeah. to. Yeah. And um, once we step into that and we take him at his word, okay, God, it's better your way than mine. Let's do it. Yeah. It's amazing what happens. And I mean, I'm still kind of figuring it out what that looks like. Yeah. What is What does standing beside David yeah. look like? Mm-hmm. All I know is it's way better than standing behind him. Yeah. I can actually see his beautiful face you know <laughs> right but it's amazing what the lord will do when we just hand it over yeah. it's amazing what are some uh now we'll close off what is something that you want to encourage the other the person on the other side of that screen just anything me you want me to go? yeah you go. okay well this is not you're the encourager in the oh my gosh <laughs> it is i love it my encouragement to you is attitude is literally everything we will miss out on all the miracles god wants to do if we don't have a good attitude and it reminds me of um what pastor debbie was talking about about zipporah and moses so moses is told by god circumcise your children and this is taking a little bit of liberty but he doesn't do it and we are left to fill in the gap fill in the cracks thinking hmm 
I wonder if Zipporah was like, hey, this is your your mm-hmm. culture. This is what God told your people to mm-hmm. do, but you are not doing this to my son. Yeah, it was bar- it was barbaric yeah, by other cultures. Exactly. Like, We're not cutting that. No yeah. way. Which yeah. is very understandable. And, hey, right. <laughs> I'm a mom. I get it. I like that mom, like mama bear comes out and you're like, no, mm-hmm. you're not doing that to my kid. So we know that Moses is disobedient. We know delayed obedience is disobedience. Yep. And mm. God gets so furious with him. He's going to kill Moses, yeah. who's the deliverer of Israel, yep. the yeah. promised people. And here God is about to literally smite Moses. And Zipporah, she takes the sharp rock and she does the deed. Yeah. And she says, and this is not a direct quote, like what a husband you turned out to be, a husband of blood. Yeah, she basically says, you barbarian. Yeah, like mm-hmm. come on. But she does yeah. it. Yeah. And I think, yes, she did it, but she did it with an unwilling spirit, mm. not a submitted spirit, yeah. not an obedient spirit. It was delayed obedience. She didn't empower Moses to go ahead and have that done right away. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then we see that Zipporah is not invited to go on the journey. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get to see the Red Sea part. She doesn't see the plagues. She doesn't see the Israelites come out of captivity, walk through the desert yeah. and across the Red Sea. Yeah. She does not see any of the miracles. I don't know. Um, if it was Moses's choice that she didn't come along, but she wasn't invited. Yeah. And how much are we missing out because we choose not to obey and not to obey with a good attitude? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is where I am living. Wow. Every day I'm like, God, give me yeah. a good attitude. Give yeah. me a positive attitude because yeah. I don't want to miss out on what you're doing because yeah. I was too in my own world. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was too busy thinking about my convenience or what I wanted. Um, or what I thought about it, mm. it's all about just being obedient. Yeah. Just be obedient yeah. and, and choose to have a good attitude on the way. You know, I would feel so sad if God invited David on this adventure and because of my attitude, I couldn't go see. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. as a husband and wife team, doesn't that break your heart mm-hmm. when you think of your spouse? And like, yeah. going and doing these amazing things, partnering God in, partnering with God in faith, and you don't get to see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that breaks my heart. Yeah. I wonder what we would have heard you know, she doesn't right. meet up till after the Red Sea. Yeah. She comes back into the picture. Well, and and that's I, my encouragement. I, I feel that as a as a father, it's hard to bless our children yeah. when their attitude is horrible. Mm. Like, I want to bless you. Yeah. And, give me any I, reason to. It's yeah. like, I got, I got you a gift. I got you ice cream. I want to share it with you. But yeah. if they're like, no, I want to watch my show. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm trying to bless you, but now you're making it hard. Yeah. And it's like, and, and, and now I don't want to reward that. Right. By like, Hey, I know you just, you know, just spoke out of turn and we're really angry and threw a fit, but ice cream, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> cause I don't want to use it to, to right. change uh-huh. and, and have a manipulated attitude. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to communicate with that, but it's like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm hard to bless if I'm walking in a bad attitude. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want it to be easy totally. for the Lord to bless me because mm-hmm. whether I'm dealt a good hand or a bad hand, I still am going to walk in Thanksgiving and find the good. And he's good. So you can always find good because mm-hmm. he yeah. is good. So, yeah. 